class and the things that I, or this group, this life group, um, and the things that I wanted to present, I ran into a couple problems that I thought I should put out on the table before we start. The first problem is this. I was a good kid. I was always told that we had the perfect family. In fact, we were made fun of it for it when I was smaller. Um, and while that obviously is not true, because no family is perfect, I can't argue that we had something special, something unique. And it didn't really hit me until I went off to Bible college. And the more people that I met, the more girls I hang ar hung around with, the more life stories I heard, the more I realized that what I had was special. When I found out that nearly everyone I was close to at my Christian college came from a broken home or a background of some sort of abuse or severe dysfunction, it occurred to me that what should be the norm in Christian circles was very much not. Growing up in Christian circles, you are always jealous of those who have the big testimony, the ones who've been there and done that, but God saved them out of that, and now they're here. That's the testimony you want when you're growing up in the church. But I didn't have that testimony. My testimony is boring, <laughs> which is the kind of testimony that I want for my children. Uh, it's a testimony that my parents gave me. And as I continued through college and into the field of social work and later into ministry, I knew that that would be what I have to offer. Uh, as I continued, I knew I would, that would be what I have to offer. I consider myself a pretty empathetic person, and I feel God has given me the ability to understand some things at some level and have compassion for things that I have never experienced. But my counsel to you will most likely never be based on, I know I've been there. Oh, sure, the whole of human experience is summed up pretty shortly, and to some level we all experience life in similar ways. But what I mean to say is that my gift to those that God has given me to minister to is not that I've been there and done that. My gift is that I have not. My gift to those around me that I seek to counsel and give advice to is that I have seen the other side. I may not have been where you are, where you've been, but I can tell you that something different is possible. Health and wholeness are within reach. And here are the ways to get there. So tonight as we start this study, I come to you with hope. I come not as one broken by my family, but as one healed by family. All families have brokenness, including mine. But we can see it, and we can deal with it, and we can let God redeem it. And we can change our, our family's history. Or we can ignore it, hate it, cope with it, and pass it on to those who come behind us. I have been with many people who have experienced many things and am familiar with family dynamics, with pain, with brokenness, with shame, with abuse, and so forth. I am not unable to speak to those situations, but I feel what I can uniquely offer is that look from another side, from the other side. And I hope with God's grace and God's help and uh, with some dedication that maybe you can see it from that side as well. So that's the first problem. The first problem, I was a good kid. The second problem I have when coming to you today is that I have good kids. And while that may not seem like a problem, when you're seeking to teach other people, having good kids may present problems. So they're not perfect, just like my family wasn't perfect, but they are good. We've had some rough patches, but in general, they're good kids. But what I don't know is why. Why are they good kids? If they are good because of something that I have done right, then I have something unique and special to offer you and to, to those around me. If they are good because I have made them good by certain principles, certain habits, and training them, then I can teach what I've done as a key for success. If, on the other hand, it's only by the grace of God that I have good children, then I can't teach my life and my practices as doctrine because it's only by the grace of God then I would have nothing to do with it. So which is it? Do I have good kids because I've done something right? Or do I have good kids because God is just merciful <laughs> to me? And, uh, and that can be seen as a little bit of a problem. But I happen to think it's a little bit of both. <laughs> there is. What's other?
Mm -hmm. I agree. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for that. So, so there's, there's another option. <laughs> Not just that I <laughs> have done something right or that God has been merciful, but because I come from a, from a healthy and whole family, and I'm able to have that. And so um, praise God. And I believe that's possible for all of us. You know, I, I believe that's possible. So um, I know that, that what I have done for my kids while I am not perfect in any sense, <laughs> in any sense, I know that I have tried to be consistent, that I have been present, that I have been intentional, and I have been prayerful. And so while my life and in my example, they're not doctrine, I do feel that I have something uh, to offer that I hope, will be, uh, I hope will be of help to you. So with that said, welcome to Legacy Builders Life Group. Um, Deborah Roberts, whom I have no idea who she is, but she said a really good quote. She said, the best legacy we leave is not for our children, but in our children. What you leave for your children may last a generation. What you leave in your children can last for eternity. One of my favorite uh, laws when talking about parenting and relationships and especially marriage, um, I used to be the sex lady at my job. I would talk about that. This applies there. But one of my favorite um, laws is natural law. And what... <laughs> that scares somebody. <laughs> I, I used to, and I still could if you wanted me to. I can go there, but I won't because that's not what this class is about. <laughs> Next session, no. That's a whole other thing altogether. <laughs> So one of my favorite laws, we're, not talk we're talking about relationships, families, parenting, is natural law. And what natural law says is that to get the best out of a thing, you have to use it in accord with its nature. That's kind of common sense, right? But sometimes we don't have common sense. Sometimes we don't always want to put in the effort or whatever. But in order to get the best out of a thing, whatever that thing is, you have to use it in accord with its nature. So my friend Carolyn is here tonight. And she would know a lot about one of my favorite things, which is black raspberries. Black raspberries are one of my favorite things in the whole world. So say I have a black raspberry plant, and I plant that plant in my yard. If I want to have sweet, juicy, heavenly, wonderful black raspberries, what do I need to do for that black raspberry plant? You tell me. What do I need to do? What's that? Combine them with sugar. Yes, but before that point... If I <laughs> Before that, to get my wonderful plant, what do I have to do? Give it water. It needs sun. Good soil. Yes. <laughs> Anything else? Manure. Yes. Good fertilizer. Hmm? Prune it. Ooh, that's good. Sunlight, yes time, right? Give it time. Pull the weeds around. You guys are good. I didn't even think of all these. <laughs> so if I want a great raspberry plant, there are things that I need to do for my black raspberries to make them fruitful, to make them yield the best crop that they can yield. And if I don't do those things, I cannot expect a great harvest. Natural law tells me this. Another consideration, my little dog Hershey, sweet little long-haired chihuahua Hershey, okay? He's a little puppy, needs to be trained, right? There are certain things that Hershey needs to live, to, like, continue to breathe, and there's things he needs to thrive, right? So what if I decided that we should lock him up every day, 16 hours a day, not exercise him, not pet him, not teach him how to go to the bathroom, what if we gave him gasoline to drink instead of water, or we didn't vaccinate him? We couldn't expect to have a very good puppy, right, <laughs> if we didn't do those things. Because if we want Hershey to be a quality dog, then we've got to put some stuff into him to get the best out of him, right? So this is natural law, and I say the same goes for kids. There are certain things that kids need, that children need, that families need, if you don't put those things into them, you can't expect to get the best out of them. So we're going to talk about some of those things that, that our kids need. Uh, so let's talk about it. What do kids need? I'd like to hear from you. Y'all are so smart. <laughs> 
What do kids need to grow? What do you got to put into them? What do you got to do for them to get the best out of them? What's that? Love. Yes. Undivided attention. Okay. Discipline. Consistency. <laughs> what else do kids need? Fun. Yes. That's a good one. Clothes and food and shelter, yes. They need a mommy and daddy who love each other. A good example, okay. What else do kids need? Anything else? They need rules, boundaries, responsibility. LaDonna, did you say something else? Boundaries, mm-hmm, amen, sister. Speaking my language. <laughs> yes, Deb. Love and patience, mm-hmm. Good. Morals, yes. All these things, all these things are good, and more. I think when we ask the question, what do kids need, it's actually a great question, because I think we have a lot of great answers for that question. But I also think as parents, as Americans, we have some really grave misunderstandings of what children need. And um, even when we have the right answer, it's always easier said than done, right? It's always easier to talk about what a kid, a child needs, a teenager needs, than to give them what it is that they need. So we're going to talk about some of those things. Uh, but before we get to those things, firstly, as a parent, you will not get your role right all at once, nor is there one thing that you are supposed to get right. We need uh, What needs to be done changes every day. Some parenting experts uh, emphasize that if you do certain things, your child will turn out right. But there are no guarantees. Because why? Because children have free will, right? So you are responsible for the process, but God is responsible for the results. All right, so children do have free will, right? But one of my uh, books that I have read that I really appreciated was a book called Laying Down the Rails. And um, is it, it was sayings from a lady named Charlotte Mason. But the gist of this is, is based off uh, the verse that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, and the idea is that when you're laying down a, a train track, you know, one track at a time, uh, you're laying down a path for your children to follow, for your children to, to go along. And um, your children can choose not to go on that path, right? But the, the more you lay that path and you give that straight direction, the more likely they are to follow it. It's going to be easy if you lay a clear and straight path in front of them. It's going to be easier for them to stay on that path than it will be for them to deviate. Now, if that path is crooked or if there's holes or gaps in that path, if you're not consistent in laying down a straight you know, level path for your kids, well then, yeah, it might be easy for them to go off. But if you've, if we've done the work of training, if we've done the work of laying down those rails and putting them in a place where it's easy to travel, where it's even fun and enjoyable to travel, the likelihood of your child going off that path is much less. Does that make sense? We want to make a path for our children that is easy to follow, that is enjoyable, that is delightful to them to follow, and we can do that. Um, and we will look at a lot of ways to do that. So, um, so we are responsible for the process, but God is responsible for the results. And so what are, uh, what are some of the things that we are responsible for? Um, responsibility actually lies on a continuum between child and parent. And where it lies on that continu- continuum changes over time. So, uh, so when you have a, an infant child... John Mark there, can't do a whole lot for himself, right? Almost 100%, no, just kidding, 100% of the responsibility lies not on John Mark, but on Laura and DJ and big brothers and big sisters because he cannot do anything for himself. But as John Mark gets older, the responsibility will shift from mom and dad to a shared responsibility. And when he gets into the early teen years, um, They will begin doing what Cloud and Townsend, who are the the writers of the Boundaries book, call deparenting. 
they will begin to hand more and more responsibility off to John Mark until in the late teens, he is able to do for himself, think for himself, mostly provide for himself. Everything will be set up for him. Uh, so he will be responsible for his behavior, his finances, his morality, his relationships. Okay? So there are things that, that children are responsible for, and there are things that parents are responsible for, and you cannot mix them. Okay? Your child cannot take your responsibilities. They can't be responsible for your feelings. They can't be responsible for your attitudes. They can't be responsible for your actions, your misactions, your lack of action. Okay? A child is responsible only for the things that they are responsible for at certain times in their life that will be different things. It will not always be the same. And likewise, um, you can't always be responsible for, for everything for them because it will change, and there will be a time when you will need to let go responsibility for certain things along the path at certain times, and we're going to talk about those. Um, but if you take too much responsibility when you should be handing off responsibility, you're going to be crippling your child and, and making them unprepared to face a real world when they leave you, and they should at a certain point. <laughs> so, so we're going to talk about all those things. But uh, we can't switch those up. You have responsibilities, your children have responsibilities, and each, you can't interchange those, okay? So uh, secondly, as we will discuss in depth more later, this process takes time. It's an investment, right? Okay, so we all know that. It's not, it's not new news, okay? But if we want to be good parents, I can't, I don't know that there's anything more critical than getting this and embracing it. It takes time. It takes our time. It takes my thought. It takes my attention. It takes time. And if I am not willing to give time, if I'm not willing to sacrifice what's probably the most important thing to me, time, then, then I'm doing my child a great disservice. When you make an investment with your money, how long does it take you to see those dividends? Right? takes a long time, long time. So we're not going to see the rewards our, of our efforts and our works right away. It takes time. It can't be overstated, okay? If you are not willing to invest time, then I hope I can convince you that the effort is worth it, and I believe you're here tonight because you believe that it's worth it. But if I cannot convince you that the very real sacrifice of time and energy and resources and et cetera, et cetera, are worth it, then I'm just wasting your time because time is one of the biggest investments that you'll make. Many people are more in tune with what their goals are for their finances or their career than they are with what their goals are for their children or their family. So tell me tonight, what are some of the goals that you have, whether they're really godly spiritual goals or just, you know, what are goals you think other people might have for their children? I'll give you the first one that, that's listed in the book I was reading. Survival. Let's just get through this. <laughs> Some people don't, would never state that as a goal, but that's how they live their life. Can I just make it through, please? Okay? So, so what might be some goals <laughs> that we have for our children here? Or grandchildren or those behind us? <laughs> Amen. Yes. Find out what their gifts are and nurture that. It's a great goal. To be self-sufficient. Yes, we want that for our children. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, that they will come out from under you spiritually and create their own relationship with Christ. Yes. What else? What other goals do we have for our children? Learning, building intellect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How to be kind. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. What else? Did I hear another one? Stability. To provide for them stability or to help them to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To provide. St okay. Are you, are you meaning like um, apprenticeship type things, like teaching them trade? 
Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yes. Teach them stuff they can pass on. <laughs> Anything else? Quiet section over here. What are some goals we have for our children? <laughs> children, grandchildren, friends' children. To make good choices, to have a good sense of mm-hmm, moral compass. Mm-hmm. Build the relationships within the family. Mm-hmm. That's great. <laughs> if you can do that, sister, you need to teach a class. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. That's great. Everybody heard that, right? Yes. <laughs> Teaching them how to survive. Yes. On the mate. Yes. Oh, I hope that I can find this this um, article that I read that Carlos references every once in a while, but it was just so, so real about, you know, you spend your life investing in your baby girl or your young man only to give them away, and, and you pray that person is the right person, you know, Um because you, you've given your life, and <laughs> anything less, you know, nobody's good enough, right? Nobody's good enough, but anything less than God's best is, uh, is just not going ma- <laughs> to do the job, you know? Um, so, yeah, you don't want to spend your life only to have that decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so a love of learning and then having a, a biblical worldview. That's great. So all of those answers are really good. Um, what we're going to talk about first is about character and developing character, which is really um, the pinnacle. It's really the end goal. If your kids have character, then they've got the work ethic. They've got um, the right mindset. They've got the ability to handle what life throws at them. Um, we're going to define character as the sum of our abilities to deal with life as God designed us to. Our ability to deal with life as God designed us to. Okay? And so, um, again, we don't want to just have children that obey, right? We want children who become people who obey. Because anybody can obey when the parent's standing next to them with the, with the paddle or with the the look, you know, anybody can obey when the police officer's around, but character is what you do when nobody's around. And so we want to make people who do what's right because they have a heart to do what's right, not because someone is standing over them saying this is what you must do or else, okay? So character is what we're after. We don't want little robots. We want free people who have learned how to use their freedom to choose good things, like love and responsibility, service and accomplishment, Okay, and this requires patience on the part of the saints, eh? <laughs> Is that what that verse was talking about, parenting? Because I think it applies. <laughs> K- 
Character is the structure and abilities within ourselves that make up how we operate life. All right, so two things are needed when we're talking about character development. Two words we're going to use, developing or development and integration or internalizing. Development is uh, training through experience and practice. Experience is the key, okay? How many of you in here learn to ride a bike from reading a book? Nobody, huh? No. So how did you learn to ride a bike? You got on the bike and did it, right? And you failed a few times, but you got back up and you kept trying. Experience. You developed the ability to ride a bike through experience. And character is built the same way. Character in your children is not going to be built by you telling them, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, you do this, you don't do that. That's not how we build character. We build character by giving them experiences and teaching them along the way, time and time again, over and over again, with time. We, t- we give them experiences. <clears throat> Think of something that you love and you've mastered. Think of how, how at the beginning it was so difficult and unnatural but you stuck it through. You found enjoyment in it, and now it even feels natural. You may be at a level where you can teach other people to do that thing. We all have something, right? Something. I remember when we first got married. When we first got married, we had purposed not to have a TV because we wanted to spend, inten- be intentional about spending time together and doing fun things together and not just you know zoning out. So we did not have a TV, and Carlos suggested as our activity of choice, that we would play tennis. So we played tennis. Well, he played tennis. I did not play tennis. In fact, I really stunk, and after weeks of trying, I didn't get any better, at least not noticeably enough to keep going through the humiliation of trying. So I did not stick with it. No character was built. Nothing was mastered, right? That was my tennis experience. Now, piano is a little bit different. If you go back a few years... My mom started teaching me piano when I was probably about six years old. And, you know, now it's kind of amazing to me because I don't even remember it much. But when you start playing piano, it's hard to even press one key at a time because your fingers are kind of like all jumbled together and you haven't learned to do one finger at a time. So just the most simplest of activities seems unnatural when you're just beginning something. But once you give it time... And once you, you go through experience, right, those things become natural. And while I may not be a concert pianist to this day, I do enjoy it. And I'm also teaching my children. So um, in the same way, what makes the difference between being a novice and a master of something? It's investing a lot of energy into some training and experiences over a period of time. Okay? We didn't will ourselves into being an expert at something overnight, But small tasks repeated in many ways with lots of failure is what causes us to learn. And this is how character is developed in our children. Okay, so we have development, and then we have internalizing. Okay, internalizing is taking those experiences inside to become part of the personality. Okay, what is outside becomes inside. So we know that a child has internalized our values or what we want him to get when he starts taking those as his own. Jesus said a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Okay, so every once in a while, you may have a piece, you know, an apple that's got a worm in it or wasn't picked in time, and so it started to go bad. But in general, if you got a good tree, you're going to have good fruit. And in general, you can look at your tree, the fruit on your child's tree, and know, are good things being grown up in my child? or are not good things being grown up in my child. I don't think we have to freak out when we see a bad apple one day, you know, but over a period of time, take a look at the fruit. Take a look at the actions, the attitudes. Um, So often it's not just the words that are said. It's not just um, the overall actions, but so often it's the attitude and the motive of the heart. And if those things aren't right, then we've got a character issue that we need to deal with. Character has to do with the way a child sees and acts in the world. Okay, so how does your child respond to reality? How do they act um, when faced with things? You can't see or touch character. It's hardwired in. Okay, but what you can see is how he responds to life, which is the fruit. Um, 
By observing, you will know better how to provide growth experiences that are tailored to help your child mature and develop in any particular area. Um, so, so now we're going to move on to those. Oh, man. Is my book back there? One second. Sorry, I want to I want to read a story to you out of the book. <coughs> okay, so Karen and Dan were discussing their 12-year-old son Jason. They had similar discussions many times. This topic this time was about his schoolwork. He must learn to do things. Uh, he must learn that things do not come easy in life. I come home day after day, and he has not even thought about doing his homework. Dan said. I know, honey, Karen said, but he's only 12. He's small for his age and has trouble feeling secure around other kids. We just need to encourage him right now. He needs to feel good about himself and not get ragged on about not doing good enough. What do you mean, ragged on? Do you think that's what I'm doing? I'm trying to help him get ahead. When I was his age, I had a paper route. I played sports and I still made good grades. Yes, I know, but you were different. He's not the driver type. He's more sensitive and needs to be built up to feel good about himself. I am worried about his self-esteem. Self-esteem? What are you talking about? You need to forget all that psychobabble. He's never going to feel good about himself until he starts performing. He's becoming a loser, and you are just letting him skate by. Dan was getting frustrated. He always felt that Karen was too lenient on the children, especially Jason. There you go again, calling him a loser. He'll never be able to do well if you make him feel like he's so bad. I'm not making him feel bad by wanting a little discipline in his life. Every day he comes home, plays all day, gets whatever he wants, and you just let him do it. I do not. I just don't think he needs to hear so much about how he always needs to do better. Kids do well when they're encouraged, not told told where they're failing. Don't you remember how your father made you feel? My father may have been tough, but that did me a lot of good, Dan said. Look where I am today. This didn't come from just getting milk and cookies every time things got tough. Kids need their fannies pushed if they're ever going to turn into anything. Then he pulled out the heavy artillery. The Bible says that we have to understand God's standards and learn to live up to them. You never make him face the truth, and it's spoiling him rotten. We said that we were going to raise godly children this time, remember? Dan was referring to the the rearing of their older child, Benjamin, whom they had raised before they had become Christians. Benjamin had had problems in the teen years and afterward, and both Dan and Karen vowed that they would would parent Jason according to biblical principles. This truth is good for him. Better that he learn to face it now than later. But that's not all the Bible says, Karen came back. It says that we need grace and compassion. You are so hard on him when he doesn't meet your expectations. How is he ever going to understand the grace of God if all we do is make him feel guilty? Dan shook his head, sighed, and walked away. Karen went and offered Jason some ice cream. Dan and Karen did not feel very close the rest of the evening. All right, so this is our story. It's illustrating the two things that we need as parents two key things that we need, okay? One is grace, and one is truth. And if we look at our story, we can see that one of the parents was really good at giving grace, and the other parent was really good at giving truth, but neither of them had quite gotten it together. So the problem is that grace and truth, both of the ingredients that we need for growth, are divided against one another. And choosing between them is not the problem. Getting them together is. We tend to practice one or the other in a given moment or a season or with a particular person. But an effective parent uh, must learn to be gracious and truthful at the same time. So we'll, we'll define grace and truth. Grace, in the Bible terms, means favor. Grace-filled people are kind towards others. They are for the other person and not against them. This grace is often not earned but freely given because of love. And grace shows itself in many forms and qualities. We can see them here. 
Grace is kindness. It's empathy, forgiveness, compassion, understanding, love, and help. All of those things would be a part of grace. And then on the other side, we have truth. Truth is the state of being reliable and trustworthy. It is ultimately reality, the timeless realities God wove into his creation. And if we live in truth, we do what is right. In addition, a truthful person is someone who faces what really is. And here are some uh, forms of truth. Truth is morality. Truth is standards and expectations. Truth is evaluations and judgment. Truth is confrontation, discipline, limits, honesty, and integrity. Okay, so those would be things that define truth. And one of our goals as parents is to integrate grace and truth. From, uh, from the earliest days on, parents must at the same time love the child and provide structure and limits. And truly loving him is to provide structure and limits. These things are not opposed to one another. They look like they are, and they're often divided. But loving him is, is not to withhold limits. Loving him is to give limits. Grace, giving grace and truth is to be soft on the person but hard on the issue. Giving grace and truth is being soft on the person, but being hard on the issue. So what does this look like? What might be some examples of grace and truth in a situation? All right, let me give you one example. One example would be to say, I know you want to play now. It's hard to wait, but I want you to finish your homework first, and then you can play, okay? So that would be an example of showing grace. Grace is, I get what you're saying, I know where you're coming from. I love you, but this is reality. Here's reality. You must do your homework. Homework must be done. So let's, you know, let's rally. Let's do homework, and then let's do something else, okay? Anybody else? I wanted to open to see, do you have ideas? What what, what might be a situation that you've encountered with your children that requires grace and truth, and, and what would that look like? Does anybody... I know that's kind of a lot of thinking for 8.15 at night on a Wednesday. Grace and truth, what might be an example? Yes. Okay, thanks. Yes. And if you continue, (laughs) that is reality. (laughs) Okay, there's a good example. You possess great qualities. You are a leader by nature, but it's coming out in some very unhealthy ways. This is what you need to do about (laughs) it. Okay, okay. Who else? Now she's got the ball rolling. An example of something maybe you face on a regular basis, those of us who have children, grandchildren, work in daycare centers, I don't know. And so Grace would be, wow, I see that you're really upset about your brother messing up your bed. I'm sorry that you're so upset about it. Let's talk about it. And then let's deal with the reality that messing up the bed, it really is not that big of a deal. So is there something else that's deeper here? Something else that's making you really upset about this bed because it's not that big of a deal? Or let's maybe deal with the reality that, you know, that you're crying over nothing. <laughs> you know, we want to be, we're being sensitive. We're having grace, right? We're being sensitive. This is real. I'm I have my, my daughter now. I think she's entering a new hormonal era, and I, 
I'm a little worried about that, honestly. But we've been dealing with some of those things, crying over what seems to be like nothing, you know. And I feel like I can diffuse the situation a much better when I am sensitive and when I say, hey, what's this really about? Or why are you so mad about that? You know, rather than saying, that's so stupid, go back to your room. We don't need this out here, you know. When I'm argumentative and confrontational, I get no response or a negative response. But when I take the time and have grace, usually she comes right out of it or within a realistic amount of time. (laughs) She will check herself and want to be a part of whatever we're doing again. So that would be my thoughts. So did you have something? No? (laughs) Anybody else have any anything that's burning in them? Examples of grace and truth in your everyday life? Or how maybe you've dealt with something that was not so graceful and truthful? <laughs> Some other examples might be, I will forgive you for what you did, but if you do it again, you will be grounded for a day. Then what happens if they do it again? They're grounded for a day. That's right. I love you, and because I love you, I will be consistent, and I will do what I said I will do. I'm on your side even if you don't feel it, but you're going to have to respect the rules too. And here are the consequences if you do not. So if we go back to our example of Dan and Karen and Jason, what would integration of grace and truth look like? Anybody want to take a gander at that? Dan and Karen who, Karen who wanted to give him ice cream and Dan who wanted to scream at his lazy son. What would it look like a conversation maybe that included grace and truth? (laughs) I like that. (laughs) All right. So instead of, Jason, get back in here right this minute. I'm sick and tired of your lollygag and you're so lazy. He might say something like, listen, I know this stinks. Sometimes I don't like to go to work either. But if you go upstairs and you clean your room or you go upstairs and do your homework or whatever it is he's supposed to do that he needs to accomplish, then we'll take some time. We'll play hoops later. We'll go shoot some hoops after you get your your work done. That's grace and truth, right? That's saying I get where you're coming from. We all have jobs we have to do. You know, I get it from my kids every day. Mom, why do we have to clean everything and I've started making a list listen who made your food who cleaned up the dishes after your food who did this who does your laundry who folds your laundry nope you don't have to do everything around here so stop complaining (laughs) you know and that's okay that's okay Uh, because then they appreciate what they have to do and what they don't have to do right so um, consider another example There's two girls, and one is playing with her dolls, and uh, everything is fine, and she's happy, and all is well with the world, until she drops a doll, and she starts belittling and berating herself. You're so stupid, 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 stupid. Why do you do that? You never get anything right. Okay? Then we have another girl. The other girl uh, is playing on the floor, and her daddy is reading the newspaper nearby, if anybody even does that anymore. I don't know. And um, she spills her daddy's Coke. And she says, oops, that's okay. And she runs off, and she gets the paper towel, and she starts to clean up the mess she made. Which of those girls is living in a house that incorporates grace and truth? Do you think? (laughs) Probably number two, right? And how do we know that? Because she's living it. Because she's, she's acting out. In her own self, she has integrated those concepts. But she said, oh, no, I made a mistake. That's reality. And then reality is, I need to go clean up that mistake. She didn't berate herself. She didn't go run and hide. And actually, you know, if we're going to be honest, for many years, Carlos and I got this exact very thing way wrong. Way wrong. I remember uh, at, at certain points in our children's young lives, they would spill something or make some sort of mess, and they would look at us with almost terror in their eyes, like, oh no, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? And that's when I knew I am doing something very wrong, 
because a child should not look up from spilling a bowl of cereal or dumping applesauce all over the floor or, you know, dropping the milk carton with a look of terror because that was an accident. And so it, it was after one of those times I said, we need to make a change. And a friend, a very wise friend, who probably didn't know what she was saying, or she did, but she said, you know what I do? I have my kids clean up their own messes. It teaches them not to make so many messes. They're a little bit more careful. And then I'm not mad all the time. I thought, oh, what a great idea. Have my children clean up their own messes. <laughs> and so that's what we do now. And so when my kids spill the milk jug all over the floor like they did the other day, full jug of milk, boom, they didn't actually clean up that whole mess. But there was no look of terror. They were a little upset. And, and you know, spills and messes are still annoying but there's no trauma involved anymore, you know? And I'm, I'm grateful the person who told me that advice, and I'm grateful that we've been able to kind of do that. So the kids know now, at least I'm going to go help, you know? Maybe they don't clean up the whole mess, but at least they make effort to move, you know, to start. And from a pretty young age, they can do that. They don't have to, you know, there will be a problem, though, if, if uh, your daughter spills makeup on the brand-new white comforter and they try to clean it up, that's going to be a little bit messy. So you're going to have to, you know, tell them, these messes you clean up, those messes you leave for mommy. Because rubbed-in makeup is worse than just, oops, I spilled some, you know, eyeshadow or whatever. <laughs> just, I mean, just throwing it out there. I think it would depend on what the mess is, you know, um, and what their capabilities are. Um, you know, the guys who wrote this book that I'm reading from that's so good and I recommend to every person raising great kids, um, they would say that you want to only give freedom in proportion to their res abilities uh, to be responsible. So, um, you know, if, if you've given them way too much freedom more than what they should be able to handle, then I would say a parent should be responsible, you know, to help. I think you need wisdom. I think you need the Holy Spirit to know because it depends on what, what that mess is and how, you know, how, how um, traumatizing is it to them? You know, is it a car accident? <laughs> Did you rear end somebody? Is it um, a relationship that, you know, they shouldn't have been in and they knew better? You know, I just, yeah. I'm not sure. Does anybody else have any good thoughts on that?
And I think what they would say, too, is that you want consequences to mirror reality as much as possible. So you are, you are training your children to leave you. You are preparing them to leave you. And you know you've done a good job as a parent when your relationship, as they would say, ends well. It's the only relationship like this. When, when they leave you and they are able to do life on their own in a healthy, responsible way, you have done your job. And so part of training and part of raising and part of character development is making the consequences that you would give to them as close to reality as possible so they're not shocked when they get out into the real world but always incorporating grace and truth, you know. So whatever the offense is as a teenager, same as as a child, um, to be graceful with your speech, to be soft on the person, but depending on what the issue is, um, you know, to be hard on the issue and to um, make your consequences line up with reality as much as possible. Um, One thing that we've been hitting at home a lot is just treating people the way you want to be treated, And I believe this applies to your children as well. Don't treat your child a way that you wouldn't want to be treated. Discipline is necessary. Training is necessary. But I wouldn't want to treat my child a way that I don't want to be treated. And I think in general that's a safe rule. It's the golden rule, right? (laughs) Treat others the way you would want them to, to, um, or do unto others as as you would have them do unto you. Um, And again, that doesn't deny discipline. That doesn't deny. Nobody wants discipline, right? <laughs> but, but if we're wise, we know that it's good for us because God disciplines those he, he considers as sons. Um, so we want integra- to integrate grace and truth. Again, what's outside becoming inside. If we've done a good job as parents, then, then what are our children, uh, the, messes- the messages that they receive are the messages that they internalize. And, and we know, you know, the child who dropped the, the doll and was saying stupid, 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 she's getting, you know, only a harsh reality at home. She's not getting grace and truth. But a child who's getting grace and truth can in- integrate both of those ideas, um, both the ideas of um, encouraging voices, forgiving, soothing messages, um, but also truth, which is correction, discipline, instruction, truthful content, uh, confrontation and consequences, and we want to give them at the same time. Children won't bring them in together; they won't internalize them together unless they've been given both together. So it's important we don't give one without the other. Grace and truth, grace and truth. Um, this was revolutionary for me. Maybe it's it's not a new idea to you, but um, I think this done right, this done well is life-changing not only for us but for our, for our children and for our families. Um, we are running out of time. Does anyone have any questions? Any other questions about something I've said tonight? Anything that doesn't make sense? Yes? And I would say, I mean, this book is great. It's about kids. Um, and, and I think that they would say, just like what you're talking about, that, that people who didn't have grace and truth um, messages to them together when they were younger have e- either gone to one side or the other. They've internalized either grace 
or truth, but not both. And so they have a hard time. Children who don't, who don't, aren't able to integrate all of that will have a hard time getting the two together. So they'll either have an internal voice that says, oh, it's okay, no problem, somebody else is responsible, somebody else will cover for you, it's all good, um, which is not reality. Or they have a, you know, this just loathing, self-hating voice that's always saying, you'll never be good enough, you'll m- never measure up, this, you know, it's, it's truth to the extreme. Um, and so I know that doesn't help you <laughs> with what exactly you're speaking of, but that's the danger we face when we, when we don't get this right. Um, and we are going to talk about in the coming weeks, the discipline and how to do that. Amen. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that. That we'll go into that probably a little bit more another time, but that's absolutely true. Yes, real quick. Yeah, we're. <laughs> yes. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. Yeah, really good. <laughs> you live that one. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, works in progress. Well, I thank you again. Um, I really do look forward to the next few weeks. I hope that you'll stick with and come ready to discuss and talk um, because I think there's going to be some really good things along the way. So uh, let's let's close in prayer. Father, I just thank you for this evening and I thank you for um, all those here who are parents and those who are not, Lord. God, you've given us a gift in our children and um, you've just called us to be stewards. They really belong to you, God, but we we are stewarding and managing, Lord, and we pray that we would be faithful stewards. God, we pray that you would give us your heart, that you would help us to see with your eyes and hear with your ears, Lord. And um, God, that you would just make us moldable in this process. Give us teachable spirits, Lord, each and every one, myself included. Give us teachable spirits, God, to hear what you are saying, to be able to look at, at, uh, at ourselves and see what it is that we need to do, God, before you to be right, to be who you've called us to be, the parents that you want us to be, Lord. And help us to see that there is joy in this journey. 
God, there is joy in this journey. Help us to find that. Help us to, to live it, God, for our sakes and for our children, for the generations to come, Lord. We commit this process to you, and we bless you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Blessings.